0: Hello and welcome to episode three of the Climate Change and Health podcast. This is your host, Harry Kennard, and in today's episode, I'll be chatting to Yorgos Petru about overheating buildings and the health risks associated with them. Yorgos is a research fellow in building physics and urban modeling at the Bartlett School of Environment, Energy and Resources. He's the UCL researcher of the Health Protection Research Unit on environmental change and health. And he's also involved in the Climate Care project, which aims to understand the factors that contribute to high indoor temperatures in care homes. On top of all that, he's about to submit his PhD thesis. Before we dive into the chat, I thought it might be helpful to review some of the health context about the dangers of exposure to heat. A global overview is provided in a study led by Professor Qi Zhao, which came out in July 2021. It was published in the Lancet Planetary Health Journal and it's called Global, Regional, and National Burden of Mortality associated with non-optimal ambient temperatures from 2000 to 2019, a three-stage modeling study. So you can read it if you like. The headline finding from that is that on average, 480,000 heat-related excess deaths occur worldwide each year. That's just a little under 1% of all deaths. The term excess deaths is important there. You might have uh, come across it in the discussions of the impact of COVID, and it quantifies the numbers of deaths above the recent average and allows us to see large population mortality events. It might be something I look at in more detail in future podcasts. The negative effects of heat, fairly obviously, increase with increasing temperature. What starts out as relatively mild impacts like heat rash and swollen ankles can become dizziness from dehydration and heat exhaustion. This starts to happen when the body's core temperature rises above 37 degrees. The most dangerous point is then heat stroke which occurs when the core temperature exceeds 40 degrees for extended periods. This can ultimately lead to brain damage, organ failure, and death. In the UK, the greatest hazard occurs in Southern England. A recent study by Public Health England of three heat waves to occur in 2020 found over 2,500 deaths associated with them. Typically, these deaths are more likely to occur in vulnerable and older populations. And there's some suggestion in that study that COVID might have played a role, though the exact mechanisms are complex. But what is clear is that not all homes have the same susceptibility to overheating. So here's my chat with Yorgos, which should shed some light on what's going on. So today you're going to talk to us about overheating. Before we do that, the listeners, I'm sure, will be keen to hear about how you got into environmental research and thinking about buildings in the first place.
1: So being interested in the environment, sustainability, and climate change probably started when I was uh, in secondary school, and uh, I just took geography as IGCSE, um, just because I was interested in physical geography, so the volcanoes and earthquakes, and just trying to understand that. And I, I still remember when we started that section on global warming, yeah. and how this, you know, this is quite important potentially can be quite catastrophic and how it's only really going to get worse from where we were at that point. So it just, you know, I guess it got me thinking, got me quite interested at that point. Um, I ended up going for studying physics for my undergrad, just because that was my, I guess, first academic lab. So that's, that's what I wanted to follow initially. But yeah, while well, doing a bit of research in my undergrad in physics, I, felt like, although very exciting and very interesting doing that research, it was just still quite far away from some of the big problems we face as society. Yeah, so absolutely. I, decided,
0: I think I had the same, the same realization myself. Uh, oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I think, you know, I was doing astrophysics and I thought, this is fun, but it's not gonna, it's not gonna help anyone.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. So, um, I just, uh, started looking for uh, um, you know what? What transitions I could make from physics, and I found the uh, Lolo Research Center on uh, uh, the built environment, and I thought, you know, that's that that seemed quite interesting. I thought, you know, that I can apply my knowledge of physics in the field, uh, but also, you know, there was just a lot of things that would be quite new to me, so that seemed quite exciting.
0: Yeah, that's excellent yeah in the uh, in, in the direction I mentioned that you um, you're focusing on on overheating mainly yeah um, so a key component of that is the question of what temperature buildings should be and how best we should live in them and uh, related to that is the question of of comfort and then also around that health so there's this idea that as buildings become too hot or too cold, they go from being simply uncomfortable to actually unhealthy. Um, would you be able to give the listeners a little bit of background about how comfort is determined in buildings and, and what kind of factors influence how people are comfortable and things like that?
1: Sure. So there are a lot of factors that influence uh, thermal comfort, which include what activity you might be engaged in, uh, your clothing levels, your age, uh, and of course, um, air temperature, radiant temperature, air movement, and humidity. So it's it's this combination of factors that can make us feel thermally uncomfortable at times, either a bit too cold or too warm. And naturally due to metabolic processes, a human body generates heat, which it needs to kind of dissipate at a rate to ensure a core body temperature of about 37 degrees. Right. And issues um, arise when you when the body is not able to maintain that temperature. Um, either because they for example if the indoor temperature is elevated it's not able to dissipate heat as quickly in that cases you know you could do certain things such just change the clothing levels to to be able to dissipate heat faster or naturally the body through perspiration might be able to just you know deal with this additional level of heat stress um, i guess and when the heat stress levels are are quite low, uh, that's where you just might feel, you know, a bit uncomfortable, a bit warm, you might struggle uh, to concentrate or to sleep at night. And that's often what we put under the uh, umbrella of um, well-being and just general thermal discomfort. But if heat stress levels are quite high, or in certain cases for individuals who might be vulnerable, then this can lead to more uh, serious implications uh so could due to uh thermal ex- exhaustion or uh even heat stroke which in some cases can result in in, in that
0: uh, right and yeah that's certainly interesting there's there's i mean it's been my experience from uh sort of observing people's understanding of how to stay cool in buildings especially in the uk whenever there's a there's a heat wave uh mm. you'll get these uh tips that come out and there are a number of things that sort of float around in the public discourse, which I think are at best unhelpful and, and worse, uh, potentially dangerous. In terms of things, I'm specifically thinking of the idea that I've read a few times that when it, it gets to a certain temperature, you don't need to put a fan on because you're just moving warm air around, and that doesn't that doesn't impact anything, so you don't actually feel colder. While that is true at very high temperatures, I think it's safe to say, and you might correct me on this, that. In the UK, you're almost always going to be in a, a regime whereby a fan will improve your comfort if it's too hot. Is that is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, I think I think that would be fair to say. Yes, I, I, probably in most in most climates, really, because uh, through having that air movement, uh, you it helps you feel cooler and increases the rate of heat loss for your body through essentially force convection on your body
0: right because you're essentially just evaporating uh, sweat from your skin right
1: yes yes and I i think and um, testing to lead to maybe about a two degree difference on how you feel on your on your thermal comfort level so so it, it feels as like it's two degrees cooler than right it's actually and it actually is uh, and that's why it's you know it's quite useful I guess. The, the issue sometimes might be in case it's really hot outside, it's really hot outside, um, and it's not as hot indoors. If you open the window, which again might result in that um, feeling of, of comfort just because of the air movement, right. it will, though, at the same time, increase the indoor temperature because okay. uh, you have heat flowing from the hotter outdoor environment to the cooler indoor environment. But the use of an electric fan, for example, uh, is not gonna change. It's not gonna increase the indoor temperature but will provide you with some level of, of comfort. So um, I think that can be quite an effective and relatively low uh, energy consuming method.
0: Exactly. There's, a, there's that, the, the general idea that if you are uh, using heating or cooling in buildings, it tends to be a very energy intensive activity. Mm-hmm. Um, in some sense, I suppose that leads us quite nicely onto my uh, next question. So you So it would be helpful to sort of guide the listeners through some of the key concepts around why buildings overheat. I think this is always a bit of a mystery in the UK, especially since there is this dichotomy between old buildings, which tend to be uh, large and drafty, typically, mm-hmm. and new buildings, which tend to be much less drafty, and depending on how high up you are, sometimes much more susceptible to overheating. Is that is that the right picture, or is there probably more complexity than that?
1: Broadly, it's the right picture. So most things are more complex than... Mm-hmm. Uh, at least we want them to be, but I guess, you know, looking at factors that lead to building overheating, I guess the first one is, I would start with, is always a location. So right. even even within the same country, you know, typically in the Northern hemisphere, more Southern parts of a country, especially uh, a country like the UK will tend to be warmer uh, by nature, just air temperature and um, solar radiation levels are higher. Uh, And then, of course, you can have um, the uh, effect of living in a city compared to living in a more rural rural area where in cities you have the urban heat island island, uh, effect, where essentially you have large parts built up with concrete, which uh, not only is quite good at absorbing heat and then releasing it, uh, it also reduces the ability to just the dwelling through airflow, through ventilation. Right. But then when you look at the building design specifically, flats have been shown to overheat more than other types. Also, mid-terrace homes, uh, which again has something to do with, with flats, for example, especially top floor flats, you have the roof exposed to solar gains. And you also often have reduced capabilities of Cooling down the building through be- ventilation,
0: right?
1: Especially with single uh, aspect flats where you only have one facade, uh, windows on only one facade. You so can, you can't,
0: yeah, you can't get a cross breeze. Is that the idea?
1: Exactly, you can't get cross ventilation, which is far more effective and cooling than just single aspect uh, uh, openings or so single ventilation. Certain factors, you know, have are quite. Uh, f- certain characteristics, such as uh, roof insulation, has been shown to lead to lower indoor temperatures because of uh, slower heat flow rate from through the roof. Okay, um, well that's
0: interesting. So that might be a little counterintuitive to some people. The idea that if you insulate a house, you know, naively you might think if you insulate a house it gets warmer, but uh, that's not quite right, right? Because you're you're really preventing the house from changing temperature.
1: Is that exactly yes so and that's why that's why looking at the literature there's been you know a few contradicting findings with regards to insulation but i think what's probably missing there is the insulation uh together with other factors
0: right so
1: if you just think of external shading for example so you you use that to block solar gains and that is quite straightforward if you prevent uh solar energy from reaching inside the house then you are uh reducing the overheating risk that's quite straightforward but with insulation as you said you're reducing heat flow which could be both from indoors to outdoors and from outdoors to indoors so the thing with more modern more insulated and airtight dwellings is they might have a bigger potential for overheating if certain things don't happen for example if you don't ventilate properly overnight, or if you have very high internal gains.
0: Right. So that's the idea of, of people doing stuff in the house that, you know, if they're taking lots of baths every day and, you know, using very inefficient appliances and,
1: and yeah, lots of, you know, cooking and baking on really hot days. Yes. Yes. Uh, so I, I think with regards to the insulation, it's, it's just a bit more nuanced just because it's, it has to do with what other things are happening at the same time in order to make sure that there isn't a lot of heat that accumulates indoors and then it's more difficult to escape through conduction. Right. But yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that uh, more uh, modern and insulated homes automatically mean, uh, you know, more overheating. Uh, but there might be, a, it might be easier to get to that point if you're not more, I guess, aware of what to be careful of. And I think that, yeah. that that's also kind of a problem of, Having overheating issues in a country that traditionally has not been very warm, I yes. don't think it's very clear to a lot of people on how on what to do on you know hot summer days compared to what to do during the winter.
0: Yeah, so. I'm thinking of um, I'm thinking of the shutters that you get in the you know nice little Italian towns, and all the exactly. windows that prevent sun coming in and then uh, also allow airflow, right?
1: Yes, yes. I- that, yeah that's correct i mean you can see if you look at the uh, homes in uh, countries that have been dealing with overheating for decades that they there are quite a few noticeable differences compared to our homes which have been built with the main purpose of keeping them as warm as possible uh, but also with regards to the knowledge of occupants on what to do right to uh, you know maintain a nice warm environment during the winter but not necessarily knowing uh, what to do uh, during summer on hot days.
0: And that leads me very nicely onto my next question, which we touched on a little bit already. Which is, what are the kind of things we can do in the UK to prevent overheating? Obviously, it'll depend, like you say, on uh, the characteristic of the house. But are there sort of some very basic steps that people can take?
1: Yes, I think uh, if if possible, uh, what our research has shown is that uh, some form of external shading. So it could be just Kind of an overhang or exterior shutters uh, can be quite effective, especially on very hot days, to block sun from sunlight from coming in and uh, reduce solar gains. Of course, if especially if you're living in a top floor flat or with an insulated roof, then probably insulating the roof would uh, have a a beneficial effect. There are certain things we can actually do that are not going to require any. They're they're not related to the cost or too much time, but it's it's more smaller behavioral stuff, such as on hot days, for example, you try and limit the cooking and baking you might do. So try and limit the internal gains. Uh, Have you know something more refreshing like a salad. You try and limit the use of certain appliances. And a really important part is to ensure, if possible, that you ventilate well. Especially overnight when it tends to be quite a lot cooler outside. So you have uh, an even bigger effect. There are other, I guess, uh, more costly things you can do, which is improving, increasing thermal mass. But that can be quite difficult, um, which has a dampening effect on indoor temperature. So it tends to uh, result in lower peak temperatures during the day. Uh, it might result in slightly higher temperatures overnight, but when uh, accompanied with a op- uh, nighttime ventilation can have a, a rather beneficial effect. But of course, increasing thermal mass uh, would be a rather big change due <laughs> to, to a building. Uh, so yeah, it wouldn't so be quite easy. The,
0: the example there maybe is uh, put into my own upper upbringing. So I, I, I grew up in a, uh, a very drafty farmhouse in Wales. Mm. Which the thermal mass uh, is probably extraordinary because the uh, the walls were sort of three foot thick, uh, yeah. and they made of very heavy stone, and as a result, in the in the summer, if it was uh, if it was, I mean, it never got very warm in Wales, uh, good old Wales, but uh, if it was sort of twenty five, even thirty degrees outside, you'd go in the house and it would be uh, kind of like an icebox, right? So, uh, <laughs> and it would just stay that temperature most of the year. So that's the and that's the idea where it is quite hard to change that aspect of your house if your house isn't made it's, of yeah. three foot thick stone, then you know, g- good luck making that change.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, that's that's a factor that we kind of known for a while. It can be quite beneficial, but at the same time, it's just easier and cheaper to construct homes in more uh, with more lightweight constructions at the moment. Right. So that's why they are. I think one of the reasons I guess they're on the rise. Um, um, you can still make lightweight h- homes uh to be very well insulated. Yes. Which again can be quite beneficial provided you at the same time ensure that you know you ventilate well and you may- limit solar gains um during hot days. I mean that's that's you know, one of the worst combinations you might have is very high glazing levels. Uh or- in rooms uh, facing west or southwest and then at the same time being very airtight and very well insulated because you will have a lot of heat transfer from outdoors uh through the windows which you're not going to be able to dissipate very easily
0: right yeah that's i mean that's precisely how you design a greenhouse right yes Uh, yes.
1: (laughs) yeah yeah and uh, there have been i think a few cases where they've also designed homes like that
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's unfortunate (laughs) So just moving on to the last question here, which is we're putting out this podcast in the context of COP26, which is happening in Glasgow, and I've been asking everyone uh, what message they would like to get to the world leaders who are attending the conference about how to deal with this issue uh, in the context of climate change. Um, Do you have any thoughts in that regard?
1: Uh, I mean, it is great that Glasgow is hosting COP26, and I'm looking forward to the outcomes of that, I guess. a message uh, that comes to my mind is that it's very important to deal with climate change mitigation, and uh, at the same time, I think we need to be spending as much effort on climate change adaptation in order to protect health and well-being, right. because we are looking at already an increase of about one point two degrees from pre-industrial levels, and with our best efforts, we might get to we might limit that to one point five degrees. Uh, But it's not unlikely that it goes beyond that. And 1.2 degrees has already led to increasing frequency and severity of heat waves, uh, wildfires and floodings. Hence, adaptation has to be part of what we're doing and it has to be, uh, you know, led by the governments. And at the same time, public message has to go out to people to realize that climate change is not something that's just happening in the future and we, need to prevent it it's already happening to us we need to make sure we are able to deal with the consequences
0: excellent thank you very much that's uh that's an excellent uh, answer well uh yorgos thank you very much for joining me in the podcast uh i do hope your work is a success and that we don't have a, a hotter future than we uh, can bear thanks very much uh, for joining us thank you You've been listening to the Climate Change and Health podcast. That was Yorgos Petru from UCL. If you'd like to get in touch with any questions, please do so on Twitter at Harry Cannard. A final thanks to Kevin McLeod who wrote the music which appeared in this podcast. I found it on freepd.com. Hope you can join me next time. Thanks very much for listening.